that was presented a question by Jared and Ann to, my assignment was, what have I learned this last year about my relationship with God? You know, how has my faith grown? And I'm like, wow, puts me on the spot. Because that means I have to have something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Okay, let's just be honest. Okay, no, but, but I began to go through my life journaling book and look at my journal entries uh, about my devotional life. And I realized, you know, I probably need to look there to see what I've learned over this last year. And that's why I love life journaling. You can go back and kind of archive about what you've learned last year. And, and I found something back in July. On July 7th, um, last year, I was in the middle of some crazy stuff um, with ministry and transition and uh, a lot of you kind of know what that is and everything. But, um, but there was a profound journal entry. I say profound because I wrote it. But uh, <laughs> hopefully it's profound. Hopefully you think it's profound too tonight because you're going to be learning from it. Uh, but uh, I, I found it there, and so that's where it came from. But as I was driving back from the coast, the illustration came into focus. And for some reason in Oregon here, you got mile markers everywhere. Like everywhere. In California, we have some mile markers along I-5. You know, and, uh, but here in Oregon, you've got them all over the place. And so going to the beach, especially the seaside, you see all these mile markers, and they tell you how far you are away from the beach or whatever. Or if you're at Camp 18, you know, you're, you're 18 miles from the coast. Uh, but for some reason, these mile markers, I was watching them, and then I realized, this is it. This is the, this is the epiphany. This is my aha moment uh, of my journal entry. And what I discovered is that each mile marker that I went past presented its own unique challenges, its unique viewpoints, its own unique characteristics, maybe not enough passing lanes. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been to the seaside, you're just falling on a trailer for four hours, you know, and it's going 45 miles an hour. I mean, not that I'm speaking from experience or anything, but, but it, there was just, yeah. So each mile marker had its unique challenges. You know, there was roadkill, some had, uh, you know, some was prettier than the other. There was turnouts, there was detours, there was a wreck maybe. But each mile marker was very unique into itself. And as I was seeing these mile markers, I came up with these four questions that I had about kind of my own life because they represented something to me more than just mile markers, go figure. But uh, these four questions I came up with, I said, okay, well, will mile marker 41 or 35 or in this case, will mile marker 31 lead me to the destination that I want to go to? And I answered it. Yes, it does. It, it'll lead me there. It's part of a, a section in that road. And I asked myself, will mile marker 31 be my ultimate destination? Hope not, because mile marker 31, is, there's not much to see there on the way to the beach. I mean, it's just a pretty dead area. I looked at it because I'm like, okay, here we are, mile marker 31. Looking around, and there's just trees. You know, it's pretty ordinary. There's like one turnout. But the interesting thing about mile marker 31 on the way to the beach is right before a gorgeous lookout over this kind of ravine of trees, and, and it's a big viewpoint, but it's not mile marker 31. <laughs> but mile marker 31 is kind of boring, and, and nothing too interesting about that mile marker. So ultimately, yes, mile marker will get me to my destination. Uh, I asked this question, too, is will mile marker 31 be important to, uh, to the rest of my trip? It will if I get an accident, right, that mile marker 31. It will if it's a detour sign and I miss it. It might take me to Vernonia or something. <laughs> We don't want that to happen. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. If you're from Vernonia, just, sorry. It was just a little jab. I could have picked North Plains or something else, you know, but, yeah, I chose that. Okay. Mile marker 31 also, um, it looks different than any other mile marker. You know, there's no two alike. And for me, mile marker 31 represents my life at 31 years old. 
which happens to be my age. And not that the life that I lived at 31 represents exactly what I saw at mile marker 31. You know, I'm not saying that at all. But my life as a snapshot, you know, if I'm able to take one year out of my life and pull it out and dissect it and say, what did I learn this year? You know, it has its own unique views, unique challenges, struggles, expectations, pains, sorrows, joy, everything within that one year of my life. And especially this year at mile marker 31 for me in my life was, was very odd. And uh, I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've learned this year. Uh, two things to look at before we get started looking at a particular year in a life of a person. Uh, you're going to hear a lot about me tonight. And hopefully when you hear a lot about me that you don't see me and you don't hear me, you hear you, if that makes sense. Uh, I'm going to try to get out of the way as much as possible as I present what I learned so that maybe you can understand and, and see your life in this scenario as well. Two things that I learned, two principles. And so the thing about principles, right, is it's, it's a principle. It's, it's a truth, okay? And uh, these two truths I pulled from Andy Stanley, someone that I really love and adore, and, and I like his mentorship, I love his books. And these two principles are never-ending, and they're always a part of my life. And number one, it's uh, defining moments. Know when it's a defining moment for you in your life. At age 31, I experienced a defining moment this year. When I have kids, that's a defining moment. When I choose to change jobs, vocations, uh, decide to purchase a car, sometimes that could be a defining moment for some of us. But uh, whatever it is, especially when you're 16 years old, that's a very defining moment for our youth. I got a car. Joel Schultz just got a car, and he's, like, so excited about that. And, uh, you know, that's a defining moment. But as you get older, they become bigger more than about a car. Okay, sorry. That's not even my notes. That was a freebie, by the way. (laughs) Um, number two is direction versus intention. And last time I spoke up here, I talked about direction and versus intention and that it's your direction, not your intention that will lead you to your destination. Okay. And you can focus on that for a second, but it's, it's not my best intentions to get to the beach. My, my direction takes me there. I'm on highway 26. I'm going that way. If I doze off and I forget about my direction, I might end up in Vernon or Gaston or, or North Plains or, you know, somewhere that I don't want to be. But it's ultimately my direction that leads me to my destination. And so those two principles, you can write them down, take notes of them. Um, Those two things are always in my life thinking, man, is this a defining moment? Do I need to take special attention to this moment and and pray really hard and seek God's provision and understanding and direction in this moment? Or is it kind of thing, do I want water or do I want Pepsi? (laughs) You know, pretty simple, right? It's Pepsi. But... um, but ultimately, we got to decide, you know, some decisions are bigger than the other, right? And so that's what we're looking at here in, in year 31 for me is these two big principles came into play this year in my life. Mile marker 31 is my vantage point. It's my views. It's my life. It's, in a nutshell, what I, what I experienced. And so we're going to kind of move into that right now. You guys ready? Okay. My life at 31... Um, is going to start now. So I'm going to start from this point and then kind of move backwards to a year ago. Um, At this moment in my life, it starts with a big thank you. A big thank you to all of you here at Evergreen to allow me to be able to be a minister here, to be able to hang out with your kids, to teach them. Um, And it starts with a thank you to you for your resources, your time, your energy, your money, your prayers that you put in towards children's ministries and student ministries. And as a student ministry pastor, um, I look good because of you. 
if a ministry is running well, I know that it's not because of anything I've done. It's because it's been on your back, on your dollar, on your time, on your energy. It's because what you've given to the ministry. Because I know God knows that I don't have it in me to make anything good. So you guys are the ones that I want to say here, stand here today and say, as 31 years old, my marker 31, thank you for what you've poured into this church. Thank you for making a priority um, in children's ministries and in, in youth ministries here. So thank you. Um, some of the stats you're going to see here behind me is some of the thank you is uh, currently in student ministries, we have 375 students within student ministries um, from seventh through college age. We have about 220 junior hires, uh, 125 high schoolers, 30 college students. And that's pretty exciting, right? Just in the numbers alone. But we don't get caught up in numbers unless they mean something more than numbers, right? Like salvations. In the last eight weeks on Wednesday night, we've experienced about 40 salvations on Wednesday night. And uh, it's been fantastic. We, uh, yeah. We've experienced, and you've seen it too here in the baptismal. You know, maybe you don't see the salvations on Wednesdays because you're not here, but what you get to see is the baptisms. You get to see those 40 students eventually come through the baptismal. Because that's another sign for us of health and something worth applauding is as they go through the baptisms and we get to rejoice and be excited for students who get baptized. And there's adults there too, but I'm a student ministry pastor and I focus on the students and I see them only. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we get to rejoice in those moments of, of, of baptisms and it's really, really cool. And, uh, the, and this is the next cool little nugget. is the last eight weeks on Wednesday night, since we've been in the sanctuary, uh, we have not seen a drop of rain on the top of any of our students' heads. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, I don't know what the connection is there, but it could be pouring, hailing, whatever it is, up to like 315, and then all of a sudden, it just clears out around the church, and it dries up. Kids are playing basketball all day long, skateboarding, hanging out, and then as soon as we start service at 7 o'clock, just pouring down rain outside. It is so cool, and uh, we love it, and that's just a little bit of favor, you know, I think that we have, and so this week's probably going to be pouring down rain, but it's, it's okay. Yeah, it's going to snow, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, this is not because of what Kevin Hughes has done. This is all because of God's grace and mercy. If you know anything about grace and mercy, it allows us to do things that we not normally can do in our life. Okay, God's grace is a gift to us, this church, and because of the students who are coming, it's because of His grace alone and His mercy upon our church. And um, okay, now are you guys ready for the teaching? That was the thank you. Okay, now I'm going to move back. Here we go. I promise it's going to be good. <laughs> okay, now about a year ago, um, July 7th, 2009, my journal entry. This is what I learned that day as I was doing my journal entry. Um, and if you have a Bible in front of you, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 4. This is my section of journal entry that I selected out of my passages that day. What I learned, and ultimately I hope what you walk away with tonight, is knowing that, that you're still learning, I'm still learning, I'm growing, you're still growing, and ultimately, we can say today, I still love God. Through all the process, everything I learned in my life this year, I can say this, I still love the Lord. With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, I still love the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16. It's going to be on the board behind us as well. First thing I learned out of, out of that verse that day is I learned that God sympathizes with us. And that's not just a little, little statement. That's huge. That God, the heaven, the creator of the world, sympathizes with his creation. It's pretty odd and pretty weird to think about a king sympathizing with his people. 
God sympathizes with us where we're at. He wants to help us. He wants to be there with us. When I look into the Greek of this word, of the, of the word sympathize, it closely relates to sharing in the suffering with something. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, you can look it up, is another instance where sympathize is being used. Same Greek word, same word used there. And it's when someone was in jail and, and someone came along and said, I've been there before. I sympathize with you. I know your pain. I'm sharing in your, your struggle. I have two children that are wonderful and beautiful. Um, at night, when we go to, to our dinner table at times, and Shasta's living with us right now, sometimes we, we ask this question around the table. What is your highlight of your day? What was the best moment of your, of your day? And then we would follow it up and say, what was the worst part of your day? You know, what was the low part? And we would ask this question, everyone would share, and it's funny, the responses were so different. Some are like, uh, the TV show I watched today was the best part of my day. And, and, you know, maybe the worst part for Jackson was, you know, my friend didn't talk to me today. And mom and dad would sympathize with our kids and say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I understand. I've, I've been there before, and, and I've been a six-year-old before in kindergarten, and I can sympathize with that. But why would we ask that question? We would ask that question to our kids because we want to know them. We want to know about their day. We, we care to know. We also ask that question because we've shared that experience some point in our life before, and we want to connect with our kids. How many of you have ever had a loss in your life? Maybe of a loved one, a job, um, something that you were shooting for and you really wanted in your life, and, and you didn't get it. Or maybe it, it, the, your best friend moved away. Or maybe you lost a, a mother or a father or a sibling or a child. Or maybe some of you here on Memorial Day have lost uh, a child in the war. Or, or maybe you've you sent off your son or daughter to, to a war. And you have experienced some sort of loss in your life. Well, now all of a sudden you become a great candidate for some sympathy. To be able to relate to someone else, maybe in the same category or the same experience. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be about loss. I mean, what about gain? Have you guys ever gained anything in your life before? Received something? Maybe the lottery? I don't know. Anyway, uh, maybe you've gained something in your life. Uh, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, maybe like Isaac and Danya, you've gained a baby. You know? And last night as I was finishing up the message and, and processing this, my wife was on the couch texting Danya and her water broke and they were sharing this experience together and they were sympathizing with one another. And I'm like, Emily, I just need help here for a moment. Can you just listen to me? And she's like, this is what she said. I got to get the quote right. She said, I got baby on the brain. And I knew what that meant. I got baby on the brain. And she wasn't listening to me. She just turned off that mechanism in her head and she said, I'm on, I'm on baby mode. And so I realized I'm on my own on this message. So then I thought, okay, maybe I could relate to Isaac and sympathize with him. So I said, are you eating well? Are you got enough food? You know, you know, do you have a Starbucks in hand? You know? And uh, I was sympathizing with Isaac a little bit there, and that was my way of doing it. And, and then maybe it's a positive experience in your life where, um, you know, you, you, you won something. Uh, you won a game, or maybe you caught the big fish one day, and you share with other fishermen. Yeah, when I caught this big thing, and it keeps growing every year, you know, and... <laughs> 
And you, and you share in your experience, right? And that's, that's sympathy in what we're talking about in, in the Bible here in verse 15. It's that we have a God who sympathizes with us. We have a God who connects with us. And I like that. I like that there's a God who knows me, who sees me, and I, I felt and I feel what it's like to be seen. Do you know what it's like to be seen? We've got 220 junior hires here who cry out to be seen. They come to church and they love coming here on Wednesday because we see them. Like, like Pocahontas, oh, Pocahontas, the, the Avatar, you know, the movie, where they say, I see you. You know, they said that in the movie, I see you. And we say that to junior hires. We say your name and we know what's going on in your life. We say, hey, how's mom and dad? And they felt seen. And so I love having a God who tells me in Hebrews that I see you that I sympathize with your pain. So here we go, back in my life a year ago. The number one thing I learned is that God sees me and knows what I go through. And if you know our story at all last year where we were packed up, we sold our house. We were living in the basement of my wife's family. My wife and kids were in the same room as me. And Jackson was here, Macy was here, and we were in our bed, and we lived there for eight months because we had a dream and a vision and a plan to move out and go to San Francisco and plant a church. And we had this, this destiny, this destination to go to, and a lot of that changed over the last year. And it was important for me to know that God knew how I felt when I was slightly disappointed. Now, I started off by saying, I'm thankful. I love my job, what I do here at Evergreen. That's all my focus is right now is on this. I love being here and I love being invested in this community. But a year ago, my foot was out the door and I had this plan. And as it was changing and morphing and as that dream was dying, I needed to know God know, knew how I felt. Because uh, you know you do things because God tells you to do it, right? So now I'm wrestling with, okay, God, did I hear you correctly? Do I know you? Do, I'm confused. What happened? You know? So I needed to know God sympathized with how I was feeling. I wasn't mad. I just needed to know he knew how I felt. And that was important to me. I remember doing the devotion that night, going in tears, going, you know me, God. Thank you for knowing me. And then I moved on to the next verse, in verse 16. It'll be up here and behind me. Is that I learned that grace and mercy is found each time I touch the throne. Every time I approach the throne with confidence, I experience grace and mercy, which we talked about earlier about our youth program here. It's because of his grace and mercy that we experience any kind of success here in this church. Grace and mercy is important to this scripture, but more important to me was the word confidence. So I began to do a word study on what that meant. Because if that's experienced when you come to the throne and you experience it only through confidence, well, what is confidence? And it translates it as, confidence is this. It's, it's hope. It's, it's a, an act of being sure of something. It's, you know that you know that you know that you know that when you get there, it's going to be cool. <laughs> it's like going to summer camp, and you know that you know that you know it's going to be super cool, and when you get there, you go, oh, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> you know, um, you have that kind of confidence when you approach the throne, when you come to church and when you worship and when you, when you enter the holies of holies, when you come to the place where you praise God, you will experience grace and mercy. 
Now, grace and mercy, because I'm used to explaining what grace and mercy in every word I use in youth group, I'm here to explain it real quickly, in case you don't know what grace and mercy is. Uh, the best way is I explain it to youth, and my wife brought this up to me, and she said, grace is receiving a gift from God which you do not deserve. So it's, he's giving you a gift, and you don't deserve it, but you're going to get it anyway, and it's free of cost. Now, mercy is receiving, is not receiving what you do deserve. So you do deserve punishment, but you're not going to get it. So grace and mercy is what I've experienced this last year in my ministry and in my life with my family and kids. In college group last week, I had the college students at my house. I got to find it here. Take a three by five card, which is why you have one too. If you wrote notes on it, that's fine. It's the other side we're going to need. I had him take a three by five card, and I asked this question. I said, Would you please write on your card the best moment of your life? And maybe it's a, a season, or maybe it's a day, or one experience. What's the best moment of your life? And then I asked him on the other side, What's the worst moment of your life? And tell me how that affected your relationship with God. Tell me how you experienced grace and mercy in both of those circumstances. Tell me what God did in that moment. And how you felt from God. Because if we don't ever ask the question, we can go through life experiencing defining moment after defining moment after defining moment and never realize it's a defining moment. But if we begin to ask the questions of God, saying, God, what were you up to when this happened? When this bad thing happened, what were you up to? Teach me. In this great moment, God, that happened, what were you up to? What were you teaching me? And so this is the card I got from one of the students, and I'm going to read it to you in their response because this leads into my last point of what I learned. I learned it from this card. So the first two I learned from my life journaling, and this one I learned even this week. So the best time in my life was when I was secure in Christ Jesus when I became a Christian. That same year, I fell in love with a boy. This gave me even more confidence. Something I really never had in my life more security in Christ and knowing that I'm loved by an earthly person and a, and a heavenly person. Um, I learned to stop seeking after approval of people after that moment and then the worst moment of her life. I'm in the middle of the worst moment of my life right now. I lost a boy. I feel great pain right now. I'm confused. I don't understand God's plan for my life, but I think I understand that his love for me was more important than anything else. I seek healthier relationships now than I've ever did before, and I trust in the Lord more than I've ever had in my life. I am growing in a new faith right now, stronger than ever before, but I still hurt a lot. Very awesome story for this young lady. Very profound, too. The last thing I learned is that love comes without understanding especially love for God. You know, we're never going to be satisfied, I think, with ever hearing the explanation of who God is or what he is to each one of us because I think God to each one of us is very uniquely different based upon our experiences and what we feel from him and what we get from him. I keep asking my wife that. You know, she keeps saying, my, the God I serve will never do that. Or I would say, the God that I serve would do this. But ultimately, we're talking about the same God, but based upon our very earthly experiences with him. But ultimately, we're all under the banner of love, that we all love God and he loves us and being satisfied with just knowing that. Now, questions. Questions are a funny thing. 
Questions will bug us. Questions will stop you from believing in God if you allow it to. Doubt will definitely do it. There's atheists and there's agnostics in this world who allow questions to become greater.